verses 1 to 7. Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors, even empty vessels. Do not get a few. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons, and pour out into all these vessels, and you shall set aside what is full. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They were bringing the vessels to her, and she poured. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. So here is a widow of a prophet, and the creditors are wanting to take her two children as slaves to pay off her debt. She doesn't have a way to make money. So she comes to Elisha to find out what to do. And, uh, you know, he says, what do you have? What are your resources? And what did she have? A jar of oil. That's it. She got a jar of oil. You know, what are you going to be able to do with a jar of oil to pay off all these debts? That's the question. What does Elisha tell her to do? <clears throat> Borrow some jars and go into your room and start filling yeah, borrow all the jars you can, don't borrow a few, borrow many, and then he tells her, you know, just fill up all the jars with oil. This is this, uh, you know, kind of a well of oil in that jar, it just keeps uh, replenishing itself. She pours it out, but it's still got as much as it did. So, and then he tells her, sell the oil, and that's your money, to pay off the debts. Now, how much oil did she end up getting? <coughs> Enough to pay off her debt and live on. Yes. How much oil did she end up getting? Enough to fill up all the vessels. As much as the vessels that she collected. Exactly. She gets precisely the quantity of oil to fill the vessels she had borrowed. Now, let's say this woman was not very diligent, didn't really trust God, wasn't that sure this is going to work, and she just went to a couple neighbors and borrowed a handful of vessels. What would that have been like? Yeah? So what would have happened in that scenario, probably? She wouldn't have had enough to pay off her debts. Yeah, exactly! She might not have gotten enough to even pay off her debts and still had to sell her children to slavery. Now, what if she had been even more diligent and had gone into nearby towns and villages, who knows, and borrowed twice as much vessels, what would have happened? Sounds like it would have filled them all. Yeah, she'd have had a lot more money at the end. I think this is such a great illustration of how God deals with us. That a lot of times the blessing, the amount of blessing God gives us depends on our faith and obedience. You know, you know if uh, there's all kinds of illustrations of that, but, but uh, how much knowledge God gives us is going to be based on our faith and obedience and studying his word with an open heart. You know, study it more, you get more. You study it less, you get less. And, and so on with many things 
in the way God deals with us, he's going to apportion his blessings based on how diligent we are or we are not. So I really like this story from that standpoint. Comments and thoughts? He also uses what she already had. God uses what we already have to. Excellent point. Same thing he uh, Jesus did with like the multiplying of the food for the uh, 5,000 to 4,000. That's exactly right. We need to start with whatever we've got and use that for the Lord. And, uh, you know, you appreciate the fact that almost everything God gives us, we have a role to play in receiving it. You know, God, God, why didn't God just miraculously make a whole bunch of vessels filled with oil? Could he have done that? Well, sure. But he chooses to make her active and involved in the process. That's often the way the Lord is. He, you know, could float as our daily bread down on a cloud. But he's chosen to make it condition on our working. And, and so forth and so on. Other thoughts? All right, uh, chapter uh, 4, verses 8 to 17. Now there came a day when Elisha passed over to Shinnom, where there was a prominent woman, and she persuaded him to eat food, and so it was. As often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat food. She said to her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God, passing by us continually. Please let us make a little walled upper chamber, and let us set a bed for him there, and a table, and a chair, and a lampstand, and it shall be, when he comes to us, that he can turn in there. One day he came there, and turned into the upper chamber, and rested. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call the Shumanite. And when he call, had called her, she stood there before him, and he said to him, Say now to her, Behold, you have been careful for us with all, all this care. What can I do for you? Would you be spoken for to the king or the captain of the army? She answered, I live among my own people. So she, he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Truly, she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, Call her. When he had called her, he stood in the doorway. Then he said, At this season next year you will embrace a son. And she said, No, my lord, O man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. The woman conceived and bore a son at the season the next year, as Elisha had said to her. Okay, really encouraging story to me right here. Uh, Elisha uh, is stopping by this Shunammite uh, family's house and eating and spending the night fairly often when he's going past there. And she shows him great hospitality the point where she suggests what to her husband? Build him a room. Yeah, let's make him a little room. And he's coming by here pretty often. So let's build a little room. We'll furnish it with table, chair, bed, lamp, you know, whatever. And have a more private place for him. Uh, a place where he can just kind of have for himself. What do you see in the Shunammite woman? Very thoughtful, very hospitable, very concerned to provide what would be maybe most helpful to the prophet Elisha. I mean, that's really cool. There are a couple of times 
in Brazil when some things similar happened. In Florida Hica, years ago, one of the brothers building a new house, now small new house, and uh, he got some financial help to do this, but he built on a room for people like me and others who would come so we'd have a place to stay. Because it was always really a challenge to find a place to stay in that, in that town. It's a town of about 2,000. There wasn't a lot of facilities. We stayed in some pretty awful places. Um, and the, but the brethren didn't have any room in their houses. I mean, until he built this house, I mean, wow, that house had been all I could have done to stretch out from one corner to the other, just about without, uh, you know, bumping into something. So, so this was great. You know, it was really helpful. Um, then in Fortaleza, uh, Manuel, uh, you know, he um, when he, when João Batista moved back to the back to São Paulo and you know, knew that he wasn't going to be there to have a place for us to stay. Manuel moved to a different house. He owned both of them. He was renting one out. But he moved to a different house because he knew in that house he could build on a second story for us to stay. And so that's what he's done. We got the run of the second story when we go there. One huge room, then another room, uh, a ba nice bathroom, and then a big, big open area. This is huge upstairs. And, I mean, they may use it for some other things, but I don't think they use it for much. I think it's mostly for just people like us that come to stay. You know, that's really cool. You know, you appreciate people thinking of ways they can help. You know, and, and sometimes we are big on thinking, all right, you can help by teaching, you can help by song leading, you know. We, we think of things like that, which is right. But what about things like this that maybe are kind of not so focused on like a church service? A lot of times we think about everything we do that helps is in the church service. Well, there are there ways to help servants of God outside of a church service? I think this is just really a great attitude. She shows some uh, real thoughtfulness in this. Um, well, what does Elisha want to do? He wants to do something in return for her. Sure. You know, he, he wants to be nice back. So he asked her if she wants this, she wants that. She didn't really want anything. He turns to Gehazi, you know, what should we do for her? Gehazi's like, you know, they've never been able to have a kid. <laughs> and her husband's getting old. Well, perfect. <laughs> so he says, bring her, call her in. And he says, you know, this time next year, you'll have a kid in your, hand, in your arms. And uh, she said, no, don't lie to your maidservant. You know, <laughs> she thought he was just kidding her. But really, it's true. They, that's what, I mean, I'm sure that when she built this little room and all this, she wasn't thinking, if I do this, then maybe God will give me a kid. You know, I don't think that's what she's looking at at all. She was just being hospitable and helpful to a man of God like this, but God took note and uh, blessed her. Comments and thoughts through verse 17. We're not often that perceptive, um, as she is and as Gehazi is and that they notice what they, the people around them need. She noticed that Elisha needed a place to stay, and Gehazi realized what they would need if they were going to be blessed with something. Yes. Uh, amen. Uh, what does it take to be more perceptive? 
less interest in ourselves. Amen. Really focusing on other people, caring about them, getting to know them, getting involved with them, and thinking. You know, what would be modern things that even most of you are relatively young, uh, what are what are things that might you that might be things you could do that would be not something in the church service, but something outside of that would that would be helpful to uh, somebody? What would you think of? We haven't been thinking about this very much, have we? Because we do tend to live very kind of self-absorbed lives. You know, we just kind of do our stuff, and then we get together three times a week, say hi, worship together, and go home. But as far as involvement in each other's needs, that's a little uh, sketchier. What are things we could do? A lot of older ladies need help in their gardens, at the very least. Yeah, what about widows that need gardening, yard work, light bulbs changed, you know? I mean, a whole bunch of things, some maybe more extensive help, uh, but some of us are good at that. Cell phones uh, figured out and, you know, uh, VCRs programmed or whatever. There's all kinds of stuff. I don't know if there are still VCRs, but whatever the latest thing is, DVDs or something. Um, you know, think about all the things that somebody like that might need. What else could we do? Babysit. <coughs> Babysit, yes. I was thinking about that too. What about a young mother who needs, and you know, you think about some young mothers that may be staying at home with their children, their husband may not make a lot of money, you know, they may not be able to afford to pay a babysitter. What about saying, hey, could I, I, I volunteer to do this, you know, so you can go out for your anniversary or whatever and don't have to worry about the kids and you don't pay me. This is my gift to you. Wouldn't that be cool? What else can you think of? We haven't done enough of this. <laughs> what about <clears throat> things you write to people? I mean, in the olden days, that was usually cards. I still think that's appropriate, uh, or even a letter, if you don't have a card, to encourage somebody. Or what about a note on, you know, email or a text or whatever, just to be thoughtful and encourage people. What would happen? If somebody you know at your church is sick, I mean, you know them, it's not like they're a perfect stranger. You know them, and they're pretty sick. What would they think if one of you guys sent them a text the next day and said, they said you were at church that you were sick. I'm hoping you're feeling better. I was praying for you. How are you doing? What would, what would that make them feel? Special. Yeah. Do you like to feel special? Does it encourage you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we might make sure they've got a strong heart before we do that. You know, things like that could be really helpful. Doesn't cost much, doesn't take even a lot of time. What does it take? Thinking. You know, looking out for ways that we could be helpful. If we really start noticing people, 
you'll start seeing things that you can do just like she did kind of out of the out of the ordinary but really helpful to this guy and thoughtful all right other thoughts I think it's easy to be self-conscious about those kinds of things. Like, I might think of them, but then I'm like, well, they might think that was kind of weird because it is so out of the blue, like, to do something like that. But Well, yeah, some things are going to be more like that than others. What do you, if it is, if it seems something a little awkward or a little over the top, how could you deal with that? I w one thing I would say is get to know him better. You know, things don't seem so awkward when you know somebody well. So that might help. Um, you know, maybe some things you won't offer to do because you're afraid it might be embarrassing to them. But, I mean, honestly, it's hard for me to see that, you know, if you're offering to uh, babysit, assuming they're comfortable with whoever you are babysitting, you know, and some people would be, some people wouldn't, you know. But if they're comfortable with that, what mother's going to say? Well, you know, I wish you hadn't offered that. <laughs> I just hate leaving my kids. Well, some people will say that, but <laughs> most would be thrilled. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, and if it's a little strange or awkward, that's not the end of the world either. All right. Anything else on that? Well, we got this long story here. I think we might as well read it, 18 to 37. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. And the father said to his servant, Carry him home to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, and shut the door behind him and went out. And she called to her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys, and I may go quickly to the man of God and come back again. And he said, Why will you, why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, All is well. And then she saddled the donkey, and she uh, said to her servant, Urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out um, and came to the man of God at uh, Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, she said to, he said to Gehazi, the, his servant, Look, there is a Shunammite. Run at once to meet her, and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, All is well. And when she came to the mountain of the man of God, she caught hold of his feet, and Gehazi came, uh, came to push her away. But the man of God said, Leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me, and has not told me. And she said, Did I not ask my Lord for a son? Did I not, or did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, Tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him, and if anyone greets you, do not reply. And lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there is no sound or sign of life. Therefore he returned to meet him and told him the child is not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself up uh, upon him, the flesh of the child. As he stressed, stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked uh, once back and forth in the house, and went up and stretched himself upon him. 
The child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. And he summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. And he, so he called her. And when she came to him, she, he said, Pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. And then she picked up her son and went out. Okay. Child grows up. What happens? He dies. He dies. Now think about this. If you're this woman, would it be better off to have never had that child? Or is it better off to have had it and now he dies young? Oh, what do you think? <clears throat> I mean, everyone's going to die one day, so whenever someone dies, you can't really say, oh, I wish they'd never been born. Well, you could. <laughs> ah, she, she, she before, did. <laughs> yeah, I, I suspect. What, what were you going to say, Ryan? Well, before he was born, I mean, she had already resigned herself to not having a son. So, I mean, now she has hope and that's taken away and it's a lot harder. It is. Yeah, I think it'd be a lot easier just never to have the son than to have him and he dies as a boy, young man, like that. Wow, that, that would be very hard. You can definitely see that. And uh, so... You know, she holds him until he dies, and then she goes straight for the man of God, straight for Elisha, and doesn't do anything along the way. Gehazi comes out and says, is it well with you, is your husband? Yes, it's well. She came, you know, and she explains to him what happened. And what's Elisha's first reaction? Okay. Yeah, but I mean, after he finds out that the boy is dead, what does he suggest? He sends his staff. Yeah, he sends Gehazi with his staff and says, now, you, do, you just go and do this with blah, 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 and, and everything will be okay. What does the woman do? Stays with Elisha. I'm not going to leave you until you go. She is insisting that Elisha himself has to go. You know, she's got a single-minded resolve sometimes. It's her son, and she wants Elisha there, not just Gehazi. And so Elisha does come, and, and uh, he's able to, you know, pray, and then basically just laid down on top of the sun, it looks like, and the life <coughs> came into him. He sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Can you imagine that? You know, here's this kid who's dead, and all of a sudden... Elijah, Elisha stretches out over him and he comes back to life after sneezing seven times. That, that's really cool. And uh, so now she's got her son back. Um, really impressive, impressive feat. Comments and thoughts? Why does she say he's okay? I think she's just not wanting to talk to anybody. She wants to go straight for the man of God. So it'll be fine. It appears that she doesn't even tell her husband. I think that's correct. I don't think she did. I think that's strange. She wants to get to the man of God. You know, I don't know what all her mentality was in that, but that's that's the that's what happens. Why didn't the staff work? You know, I guess I don't know. 
It seems like he, since he's really dead, it's going to take more than just a staff. I don't know. Didn't he know he was dead? I don't know. It almost seems like she's the one that maybe prevented the staff from working <laughs> by not accepting that as the answer. Where uh, you know, in this in the previous story, maybe it was the you know the woman's own limitation as to what God would do. Yeah, I don't know. You think there are no hard and fast rules with like miracles and stuff? Like, <laughs> yeah. As far as kind of by definition, words. right? Yeah, he didn't know until she got he there and told him. He didn't know by the time he sang yeah. the Hazi. Yeah. But oh, okay. I thought you meant before that. Other thoughts? Is this the first resurrection in the Bible? No. Is Elijah? Or was Arafat's son. That's right. No. The one who touched Elisha's bones. Exactly. Remember that? They threw someone into Elisha's grave. Yes. And he came back to life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Elisha didn't come back to life, but the man did. Yeah. That's pretty wild. Are there more than that, though? No, Not that I can think of. Okay. There's dozens or hundreds in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. But you always wonder, do they really want to come back? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Don't know how all that worked. Um, so. Other thoughts? Since Elisha's paralleling Christ so much, is this a parallel to one of his raising of the dead? Or? Yes, I mean, I think to him raising the dead, probably. It is that. But just not, not anything more? Nothing comes to mind, but I bet you anything there is more. Okay, 38 to 41. When Elisha returned to Gilgal, there was a famine in the land. As the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, Put on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. Then one went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it his lap, his lap full of wild gourds and came and sliced them into the pot of stew, for they did not know what they were. So they poured it out for the men to eat, and as they were eating of the stew, they cried out and said, O man of God, there is death in the pot. And they were unable to eat. But he said, Now bring meal. He threw it into the pot and said, Pour it out for the people that they may eat. Then there was no harm in the pot. Okay, so you got the sons of the prophets boiling some stew. Somebody gathers some, I don't know, wild mushrooms or something. <laughs> and uh, they prove to be toxic. Poison ivy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's quite that. but uh, And, uh, you know, there's death in the pot. They couldn't eat it. So what does Elisha do? Some flour or something. Yeah, brings some meal and throws into the pot and it detoxes the stew. <laughs> so that's that, you know, you really want to uh, keep some, uh, you know, uh, meal on hand. Because you never know when you're going to poison yourself and you need it. 
Is that right? <coughs> what are the healing qualities, healing properties of meal? That's grease stains out of your shirt. <laughs> <laughs> that ought to work. Yeah, I mean, the point has nothing to do with meal. You know, this is not giving some sort of a secret formula for our future detox episodes. It's do just people what. Do you think that? Mm, probably not. Oh, okay. You sounded like you were refuting. <laughs> no, I'm just okay. saying that, you know, what do we see in these things? What we see is the power of God. You know, we're not seeing, people, people in the may not say it about this story, but they say it about a lot of stories. They try to come up with some sort of naturalistic explanation. I mean, I don't know. Um, sometimes we see like, uh, certain laws and commands of God. And we think, well, the purpose was to promote health or something like that. And the purpose was really to follow the Lord's will. You know, it's easy for us to to think of a natural explanation. But really, this is just what what is to be done so that God heals the death and the pot. All right, 42 to 44. Now a man came from Baal Shalishba and brought, brought the man of God bread of the first fruits. Twenty loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his step. And he said, Give them to the people that they may eat. And he, his attendant said, What, will I set this before a hundred men? But he said, Give them to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, They shall eat and have some left over. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. Alright, so you got this man... He's got some first fruits, 20 loaves of barley, some fresh ears of grain, and 100 people to feed. Not going to be enough. So what's he supposed to do? Yeah, give it to him, uh, and, and it will be enough. You know, uh, that's, that's uh, what he says. And there'll be leftovers. Does that remind you of anything? Duh. There's another parallel between Elisha and Jesus. You know, did you know that the bread had been multiplied before Jesus' day? Um, so that's interesting. Of course, you remember you had that miracle with Elijah and the widow of Zarephath that the ingredients to make that cake just kept, you know, replenishing. So that's what you've got here as well. One of the things you see in a lot of what Elisha does is that he gives a lot of attention to ordinary people and just kind of like isolated problems they face. You know, I might have said, this is not worth my time. You know, I got important things to do. But Elisha, he, he does a lot of things for, for different people. All right, uh, comments or questions? On chapter four. This one is not a very popular thing that you hear about. Right. Yeah. Probably some of these stories are short mm -hmm. and we kind of pass over them. So does he just travel around? You know, why are there all these Seems people? Seems to. You what? Why are all these people together? Uh, I don't know.
So we don't have a lot of information about the, you know, what all's going on. We just see what Elisha does by the power of God. Well, we got another issue here in chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. 